Hello everyone, Johnny Laser here. My guest today is Zulai Chang, and she's currently the photography specialist in the Miriam and Ira D. Wallach Division of Art, Prints, and Photographs at the New York Public Library. You know, growing up in Manhattan, there was, and still are, local libraries sprinkled throughout the city, but a trip to the New York Public Library with the huge lion sculptures and the stone staircase leading up to this cathedral of literature was always an experience for me as a kid. And you really felt like you had to return the book on time, or else. When you visit New York, you really should stop by, at least to get a selfie on the front steps. And you can even read a newspaper there for free. It's only a short walk from Times Square, where at another time in history of New York, you could find reading material that you didn't even have to know how to read to appreciate. First of all, thank you for, for joining us. What got you interested in the history and preservation of photography? Hi, John. Well, thanks for having me, first of all. I have an undergrad in fine art photography, and in high school, I also did some, you know, black and white photography with the darkroom and, and everything. But it wasn't until, you know, I finished my photography degree and I started working a little bit in art galleries and such. Then I entered a program um, in Toronto, Canada, called Photographic Preservation and Collections Management. And that's where I really, you know, honed my interest in the history of photography, um, you know, taking these courses related to 19th century photographic processes really made me more aware of the type of materials that exist in various institutional collections. Is there an image or a series of images that you find most intriguing or have sparked your curiosity the most? I would say 19th century materials are more interesting to me just because there's so much of a story there, you know, in um, carte de visites, cabinet cards, because they're, you know, not just, not just images or photographs, but a lot of these 19th century materials are on different formats. So, you know, you will find them in different sizes and different materials and different, you know, chemical makeup as well. And so I, I don't know, I find that very interesting, especially in my line of work. Part of my job is to catalog the materials, put information about the photograph into a database so that it becomes searchable. And when I do that, I often have to do a little bit of research especially on the 19th century materials, because there's always a bit more of a story to them and, you know, who the creator is, the photographic process is, that sort of thing. So I find those materials to be the most interesting. When were you first made aware of stereographs? How'd, you, how'd that come into your life there? I would say during my, my training, my education with photo preservation and just learning about the different formats. So it wasn't until through that other program in Toronto that, you know, I really learned about the formats and then being able to pick up a stereograph and to be able to hold it and, and see it, you know, with my own eyes and, 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 and feel the, you know, the weight of the material. That's where... I think most people have this sort of like, oh, aha moment, like, okay, this, this is what a stereograph is. And then also going to, you know, exhibitions here in New York. The first time I saw a stereograph camera was at the Met. What role do you think that they play in the history of photography in general? I think in terms of stereograph format, you know, they were vernacular objects, you know, they were used as a form of entertainment in the 19th century. They were sold in catalogs, they were sold door to door and by these large publishers or distributors in the United States. And then also, you know, there are other firms in uh, in Europe as well. But, you know, today I think it's underappreciated. It's not a topic that has been that widely 
studied or seriously in terms of like academic research. I think that's changing as we move away from analog materials into the digital space. I think there's become a more of appreciation for objects and for analog materials. How many does the New York Public Library currently have in its possession? Well, we do have a figure actually because oh. the library has digitized all of their stereographs of the United States and we have approximately 42,000 that are digitized. The library has digitized the backs of the stereographs so you can see notations and printed information about the card itself and, you know, perhaps who the distributor or publisher is. So it's really valuable for researchers, but then it's also just very interesting for anyone who's interested in stereographs and historical photographs as well. But I have to say some of the images, because they're scanned or digitized, it's, it's not very clear sometimes. You know, there's always, there's an opportunity to actually see it in person, which is to visit the New York Public Library, the Stephen A. Schwartzman Building, 42nd and 5th Avenue in New York. Anyone can come and visit our study room and to consult these materials, which a lot of people have, um, you know, either for their own interest, for scholarly research, the type of people who come to use our collections really is far and wide. I mean, for the most part, we would ask that you email us because it's usually by appointment. But when we reopen again, you know, we're back to serving the public in person. Anyone can, you know, email us. Email address is just photography at nypl.org. And they can certainly email us now. You know, some of us are working from home as well. If you have any questions about stereographs or even literature, like any articles or uh, resources that, you know, you might be interested in, you know, we can help you with that, certainly. Now, would the best process be, I guess, to look at them online, decide what you want to see, and then send an email? Or is that one way, or maybe there's other ways, but is that one way to do that efficiently? With our stereograph collection, it's organized by geographic location and then by subject. So it really depends. Because it's organized that way, it doesn't have to be a specific stereograph that you want to look at in person. You know, if you, you browse a few online and, you you know, say you come across materials depicting depicting the Civil War, so you can just come to us and say, oh, I'm interested in, um, you know, Civil War stereographs, which we've had researchers, you know, who have asked us for materials by the subject matter. And then, you know, we do a quick search, you know, in, in our database and also with the digital collections uh, website, which has all the digitized images. And then we can determine, okay, like which box we're going to pull. But, you know, we pull that box. Stereographs are stored in a shoebox type of storage container. And then, you know, we, we pull that off the shelf and then we usually just um, leave it for the researcher to, to look through. And then they just have to keep it in order, of course. <laughs> um, yeah, right. And then we also have the stereo viewer as well. We have, a, we have a few. We have one that's made of plastic, which is not so great. But then we also have um, some, uh, I think we have a wooden one as well. Do they have to wear gloves and all that kind of stuff? We have gloves available, but what's nice with our collection is that everything is sleeved in polyester. So, you know, part of our mission at the library is also to preserve the materials. So by preserving it, you know, we encapsulate the stereograph in a piece of plastic, essentially. It's basically um, the industry term, sometimes it's called mylar, which is kind of like a trademark material, but it's really polyester. So it's a clear plastic uh, material that goes over the stereograph. And then each stereograph that we have is covered in that. And so the handling is simply just, you know, because it's already wrapped in plastic or polyester, then it can be handled freely. 
Is it a shine? I guess it must be a matte material. Otherwise, wouldn't it kind of affect the view? But that doesn't hinder the the view of it. I think the only issue is sometimes like if people want to uh, photograph it when they're visiting, and and so that might create a bit of a barrier. But as I said, you know, these are all digitized too. So if anyone wants a copy or a reproduction of it, you know, they can go online and and download it as well. And what's nice is that because these stereographs, they're um, all of them are. From the 19th century or early 20th century, they're essentially at a copyright. So that means the library has also made it available for anyone who wants to to download these images, use them however they want. That's really generous, and it's a wonderful uh, uh, asset to have. It's incredible. I know that due to your training and uh, education and experience, you you look at photographs differently than the rest of uh, the rest of us. Are you able? to identify and this doesn't have to do just with stereographs but just in, in your in your are you able to identify and describe influences that a photographer's ethnic background creates in terms of their photographic subjects and in their evolution of their technique in other words their background their ethnicity can you identify that in in a series of images does that come through at all depends on the type of practitioner because sometimes with photographers you have artist photographers and then sometimes you have photographers that are, you know, they're working for a press agency. And so it's a different uh, track in, in, those, in that way. And so if, I would say if someone who has different ethnicity, like for someone who's, say, like African-American, you know, there's a, a noted photographer. Her name is Carrie Mae Weems. And her subject matter a lot of times is related to the history of enslavement and such. And she makes contemporary work through her practice. And she's more of an artist photographer. So, you know, that comes through because because maybe you know of her own identity and maybe not necessarily like ethnicity. Um, but just from looking at a picture, I think, you know, you can't you're not going to be able to say, oh, it was taken by you know, someone who's like LGBT or someone who's like of this race or this culture, you know, so it's, it's hard to say because as we do know, like the, the, the camera is objective, right? Like I'll put that in quotes. I was talking more about the body of work. Are there similarities that you can identify that photographers go through in their evolution from of subject matter to, to their ability to create emotion and image? In other words, when, from when they began to where they ended up like is there some kind of similar i know it's not going to be perfect but is there some kind of similarity to the stages they go through have you noticed anyway in, in your research i have not done any in-depth research of one photographer but what i have seen with the artist photographers that we do collect at the library is that a lot of the work that we that we acquire you know the the artist photographer they usually have an established body of work. But sometimes, you know, if they have been, you know, working for a decade, their earlier work might be a bit different from um, from the rest of the their their more known work. I'm just thinking about what a progression is, you know, like where, where the first shot to your last shot or your last image, you know, what, what do other photographers, you know, kind of go through a, a, a similar pattern. But but I, I understand that answer that you gave. It, it's... 
you'd really, I guess you'd have to really look at a, at a, a study one, you know, several entire bodies of work to come up with any pattern, and, may, and maybe one doesn't exist at all. <laughs> that's that's the other side of it. You know? Yeah, I, but I would say, you know, most most practitioners who are established, um, yeah, I mean, I think definitely they go through a evolution of their work. You know, they start out with one type of um, you know, series or some sort of investigation that they're interested in, and then it and then it evolves. So you know, it, it really depends on the the practitioner. But what's nice is that when you come to a collection like ours, and we're considered an encyclopedic collection. So you know, the difference being uh, compare us with the Metropolitan Museum of Art or MoMA is that. We have materials that begin from the history of photography to present day. And of course, you know, I always say like we cannot collect everything, but we have over 500,000 items, which is a lot. (laughs) And again, that's just a very approximate um, estimation. You know, the materials that we do have, we have examples of almost every photographic process. And we also have examples of, I would say, the major uh, photographers in the canon, the history of photography canon, uh, we have works by these photographers. And, you know, when you visit the library or when you consult our online catalog, you will see that, you know, we will have at least an example of works. So, for example, you know, like we have some photographs by Lee Friedlander. And so, you know, it just, it's a nice representation of photography and also the history of photography in our club. What surprised you most that out of when you realized this was going to be a lifelong thing for you? That's funny because I think in the last few years I've had this revelation where because of my training, you know, started with art school and then through through the photo preservation program, there was always this slant towards the art history of photography and many many scholars in the field tend to write and lean towards the art part of photography. However, you know, what I've learned and what surprised me, and it's always been there, you know, I just have just, you know, come to this realization myself in the last few years is that there is so much more to photography than just looking at it as art and looking at photography under a different perspective. The business of photography, for example, amateur photography, uh, vernacular photography, and then really understanding the origins of the photographic itself. So like a stereograph, you know, we look at it and stereographs are exhibited in art museums. And a lot of times we think, oh, well, you know, that's an, that's an art object. But really, it was not produced as an art object. That's a wonderful area for research. I know most of our images are probably glass plates, film or paper photographs. Any advice to people who only shoot digital pictures? Uh, my advice is to have a lot of backup systems to save your digital photographs. I mean, even the library right now, you know, like, or any institutions, like, digital images are collected like a stable medium, I would say. You know, just for instance, in our collection, we have a lot of images that derive from, you know, digital photography, but we still, we only collect print. So that's, that's one big thing. You know, anyone who's interested in photography or shoots a lot of, um, you know, digital photography. uh, Yeah, I would say not necessarily you have to print them out, but just make sure that you have proper preservation and storage for these materials, because it's actually very vulnerable. They're very vulnerable to, to, you know, becoming lost or, you know, obsolete even. And even myself, you know, for example, like I remember I, you know, I 
I started using digital cameras when was it like like more than 10 years ago like 10 15 years ago and I can't I don't have access to those images anymore because I had them on an old computer and when I got rid of that old computer all those files went with it <laughs> wow well t take note everyone this is a person with a master's work for Getty is in a high position at the New York Public Library <laughs> listen to what she's saying that's that's a really important lesson for everyone you know the assumption that the stuff will still be available because it's on your phone <laughs> Basically, you know, if, if you use a smartphone and you take pictures with it, um, yeah, you want to make sure that it's not just saved on your phone, but, you know, it's saved to a cloud storage, um, some sort of, you know, like a hardware and software, like both in both places, if, if those pictures are important to you, because they will eventually, you know, you change your phone and those pictures, you know, you don't know where they went. Or if, you know, you have all your images um, with Google, for example, you know, if, if that company in 20 years, like, you know, it goes under or transforms, like you lose all those images too. So those cards go all the way back, the stereo cards we were talking about, you can go all the way back to the 1850s, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And st a lot of people like you, you had problems with your images that were only 12 years out. So yes, uh, I think that's a great advice. Zulai, thank you for taking time out of your schedule. I hope that you could come visit us on NYSA Presents. I know that our viewers would be very interested in what you do and the important role that you play in preserving and helping us to better understand history through imagery. You folks are truly unsung heroes in documenting and preserving our life and times, the human story, through this rather recent invention, photography. Oh, and one more thing. Listen. I got a book that I took out in 1969 and never returned it. Have any idea about what the penalty is at this point? I don't know, but you'll probably have to ask someone to check your account. Um, but at least right now, the fines are, are frozen. So, you know, you will not be penalized. Um, but after that, I'm not sure. But anyway, thank you, John, for having me. It's been really fun. And thanks, folks. Take it away, Mr. Waits. <laughs>